we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors here with Restored Church. It really is a privilege to be here. Um, there must be like some sort of something happening in this region of the gathering space because there's two full rows that no one wants to sit in. That's fine. I won't look over there when I preach. Thank you, Thad. a boy. Come on. I love that he gets claps. It's great. It's great. Yeah, guys, stoked to be here. Uh, yes. Uh, stoked to be here. If you guys know, I like hurt my back about a week ago, and I was like, God, please heal my back, and I'm doing much better. Thank you. Many of you guys have reached out and asked and blessed me, and it's been great. So stoked to be here. So glad to be with you this morning. Uh, we are um, four weeks in now to a series we call We Are Restored, and this is a really special series for us as a church. Sorry, if I'm ringing, I'm going to try to fix this guy. Sorry, Harry. Yeah, so this is week four. We are restored. This is a special, unique series for us as a church because uh, we're a church plant. We are an infant like community. We're still forming. It's this beautiful stage of development, and I really live for this stage. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but one of the things that we think is really important is we need to know not just what we are. We're a church plant, but we need to know who we are, what we're all about. This series, We Are Restored, we're going through our five values Okay, and these five values, they inform who we are, what we do, what we're all about, what we value, okay? The first week, we went through uh, our first kind of main, it's our primary value, and that's the gospel of Jesus, the gospel. We talked about how the gospel isn't advice, it's not directions on like how to live your life. The gospel is news about what's been done in and through the person of Jesus Christ, and how that literally, that, that news has the power to transform our lives, every area of our life. We talked about how the gospel is our primary value and how um, if, if like our values as a solar system, the gospel will be the sun. It would be everything else orbits around the gospel of Jesus. And then the second week, we talked about our second value, and that's family. That the, that the church primarily, it's not an event, it's not a building, um, it's not an organization, it's not something you attend, it's, it's the family of God. And how we, as, 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 because we relate to God as father and each other as brothers and sisters, that, that changes things. That changes the dynamic of how we relate to one another as family. Um, and then last week, I preached on our third one, which is dependence. Dependence on the Holy Spirit, essentially. All that you can listen to, back to all those messages if you'd like. But this morning, we're going to talk about our fourth one, our fourth value, and that is mission. Okay? So go ahead, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, that's, that's fine. The, the words will be up there on the screen for you. While you're flipping there, Matthew chapter 28, it's the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, <clears throat> while you're flipping there, I don't know if it's just me, but this year I feel like has flown by so fast. And I know, I feel like I, I keep saying that, like each successive year in my life, I'm like, man, last year went by so fast. Oh, last year went by so fast. Last year went by so fast. I feel like 2018 flew by. Like, can you believe Thanksgiving is less than two weeks away? That's nuts to me. I'm like, this, this, sorry guys, this, uh, this year, I'm a little gassy maybe, I don't know what's going on, but either way, this year's flown by, Thanksgiving less than two weeks away. How many of you guys are Black Friday shoppers? Go ahead, out yourself in public right now. Okay. Black Friday is dangerous, okay? Uh, I've been Black Friday shopping, I think, twice in my entire life. I will never, ever go Black Friday shopping again. I don't judge you if you go. It means you're just tougher than me. Um, you're more thuggish than me. Uh, I, think the f I think it was the, f the last time I went, um, this was probably 15 years ago. 
Okay, I got up super early, like 4.30 in the morning with some friends. We drove down to, I think it was San Marcos. I was living here at the time. Drove down to San Marcos to the Fries. You guys know what Fries is? It's like this huge electronics store. And this is before like Amazon, guys. This is before like online shopping. So if you wanted a good deal, you had to show up there at like 5 in the morning and wait in line to get your ticket for whatever TV or you know, whatever, they were, they were blown out on sale. And if you remember, if you guys remember the ads that would have like the Black Friday ads and it would say like limit, you know, five per person or 10 per person so you couldn't take the entire stock of whatever was on sale. So I go down to Fry's early in the morning with some friends and we're in line. They open the doors and everyone's kind of rushing in there kind of like cattle, you know. And if you can imagine, Fry's is, is it's, it's huge. Think like Costco but for electronics and just the massive scale. And there's like the, the, the big aisles that you walk down, right? And it's so packed with people. I'm walking, like you're just shuffling your feet, like you're in Tokyo or something. Like there's just so many people. And this lady behind me, okay, she, she, had, she had a cart and she's jamming it in the back of my heels saying, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. And I'm like, I can't move, lady, like, please, that hurts. Like, please don't do that. And she just kept saying, get out of the way, get out of the way, and it worked. Like, everyone kind of parted, and she, she got through there. It was, it was absolutely crazy. And I remember I was like, that lady, like, I, to be honest, I had hatred in my heart towards that lady. But I saw her maybe like 30 minutes later, you know, she's kind of like, she finished her shopping quickly or whatever, and her cart was full, and it was stacked with these digital cameras. So she had 10 digital cameras, she had the limit posted in the ad, you know, limit 10 per person. She had 10 digital cameras in her cart and she was like stoked. You can just see she had this look of like accomplishment on her face and I was like, my heels are bleeding. I'm so glad you feel accomplished, but that hurt. I tell you that story because that woman, like she was on a mission. She was on a mission to buy those digital cameras at a discount, man. And she was willing to like do whatever it takes. She was willing to do whatever it took to accomplish her mission. Now, silly story, Black Friday, whatever, but the truth is we all give ourselves to a mission. I mean, it can shift and change throughout the day, right? But all of us give ourselves to a mission, to accomplishing something. Okay, today we're going to talk about what the mission of the Christian is. So hopefully you are in Matthew chapter 28. These verses will probably sound familiar to you if you've been around the church any length of time. But before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Will you you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your grace. It covers us. Um, Thank you that we get to be here this morning. Uh, I live to be with God's people and enjoy you, Jesus. There really is like a, this deep part of my soul that gets satisfied in your presence and your presence is magnified when your people are together. And I just I thank you. Um, help me never to take this for granted. Life can be busy, but this is just so sweet. So thank you. I pray that this morning you would teach us, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would use me. Um, I really want to honor my friends and my family in this room. So if anything um, that I say gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. I pray that just no one would remember it or I wouldn't say it. Like, I just, I want to be used by you. I want to honor you and honor them. So teach us, bless us, encourage us, challenge us, and guide us. Spirit of God, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so go ahead and flip Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. Now keep something in mind. 
<clears throat> just kind of set the stage here. This is after Jesus uh, rises from the dead. Okay, so he's resurrected, and this is just before his ascension. Okay, so here's the deal. Jesus is, this is like Jesus' last words, okay? The, the, the gospel according to Matthew, this, this gospel account according to Matthew that you were about to read out of, this is the last five verses of the book of Matthew. This is Jesus' last words to his disciples in this gospel account. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but whenever someone gives their last words, they tend to be really important. Okay, so listen in. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. It says 11 because remember Judas, he betrays Jesus. He's out the picture. There was 12, now there's 11, okay? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. When it says all nations, it's basically all people groups. Okay, it's not limited to like geography and state lines and country lines. All people groups, okay? <clears throat> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, today we're going to talk about two things. So if you're taking notes, write these down. Two things we're going to talk about is what is the Christian mission? What is the Christian mission? And the second thing, what does that mean for us? Like, what does it mean for us as restored church to value mission? Okay, so what is the Christian mission and what does it mean for us? Okay, let's jump in. What is the Christian mission? Now, depending on who you ask, you'll probably get kind of differing opinions on this on like what the mission of the church is. One of the things that I've seen kind of be um, a rather common uh, description of the mission of the church would be that the church is on the mission of like social justice. Okay, so dealing with homelessness and poverty and just things that are terrible, like social justice, seeing justice happen in different in every areas of society, but this idea of social justice, listen, poverty, homelessness, the list goes on and on and on. Those are all really important things. Those are all really important things. All Christians ought to care about areas of social justice. All of them. But it's not the primary mission of the church. Okay, another thing. Um, I've heard churches kind of describe their mission as, as building community. Okay, again, vital. <laughs> like, definitely important. Definitely something that every Christian should care about. Every Christian should give themselves to but not the primary mission. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Uh, those of you guys that know Brad Sarian, he leads Restored LA, the third church plant, or the fourth church plant. They're up in uh, Northridge. Brad, so one of the most interesting uh, examples of, of a misunderstanding of, of the mission of the church that, that he, he told me about this, he was at this conference and he met this guy, this church planner, this lead pastor um, at a church, and he was talk, talking with him and he described that their mission was to cure loneliness in Cleveland. And I was like, that sounds really sexy, cure loneliness in Cleveland. That's awesome. Like, loneliness is awful. Like, we should definitely work towards curing loneliness. Um, but it's not the primary mission of the church. Great thing. Something to give yourself to. Beautiful. Awesome. But not the primary mission of the church. And the passage that we just read, okay, 
the words of Jesus. Jesus gives us a very clear mission. Okay, it's known as the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. Now, <clears throat> the word there, go, is really, really important. Okay, uh, I'm going to talk more about this later, but when Jesus says go, it's just as much of a command as make. Okay, go and make, just as much of a command. So the mission of the church from the mouth of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is go and make disciples. So let's talk about what a disciple is. I'm sure you've heard me talk about this. We talk about this a lot, so it'll be review, but it's important for us to talk about this. What is a disciple? The word disciple, what it means, it, it literally means like a learner, like a student or, or a pupil or even like an apprentice, okay? So get this picture in your mind. A disciple is someone who's learning, who's in a process, okay? As someone who's like a student, an apprentice, so a disciple, this is the, the kind of definition that we've latched onto as a church. This would be something that would be actually worth you memorizing, even for your own life, and to help each other as we make disciples. We would define a disciple as someone who's learning, again, process, someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. Like, no area of life's off limits. Someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every area of life. So, if the mission of the church, if the mission of the people of God is to go and make disciples, how do we actually do that? Like, how do we accomplish the mission? Jesus totally tells us in these verses. He gives us the answer. Look back at verse 19 with me. Verse 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So Jesus tells us how disciples of himself are made. He says two things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, observe all that I've commanded. So baptizing, what does this mean? Um, it certainly includes the physical act of baptism. Okay, you guys familiar with baptism, right? Like, you get dunked under the water. It's this beautiful coming out party of, like, I want to follow Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. The old me is dead. It goes under the water. And the new me, new, the new creation, because of the blood of Jesus, the new creation rises out of the water as a symbol of the new life I have in Jesus, the new creation I am with new transformed desires to actually follow him and obey him. This physical act of baptism, it's beautiful. We live for this. We party in this church when it comes to baptisms. We celebrate it because it's a big deal, okay? So this idea of baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It definitely includes that. It absolutely includes that, that physical act, right? But hear me say, it's like it's more than that. It's deeper than that. The word baptize, think about it. It means to immerse. It's literally what I mean. It means to immerse so for the sake of time, I'm going to keep this kind of brief, but there are like several implications here. Several implications here. The first is obviously, like we talked about, the act of baptism, you know, the ceremonial act, the symbol. But even, like I said, even the act of baptizing, it symbolizes something. It symbolizes new life as a result of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So, simply put, just to save time, we can talk more about this in depth later if you like baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, it, it basically means to immerse a person 
in everything God is, in everything that God has done, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's done, <clears throat> that God's washed them, he's cleansed them of their sin, he's graciously, he graciously offers them new life. This idea of rehearsing and replaying and immersing people in everything that God is and everything that God has done. Okay, it's basically the gospel mes- message. So what about teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you? So we have the first one. How do we make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, immersing them in all, thing that God, all the things that God has done and who he is, and then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That one's pretty simple. Okay, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's teaching people how to obey Jesus. Like, he's king, right? How to live in his kingdom. How, how to live under his lordship, okay? So, really quick, I know this is a review, but I want to make sure we, we get this before we move forward. Recap, how are disciples made by immersing people in who God is and what he's done in the gospel? We talked about this week, one that the gospel is that God, almighty, all-knowing, creator, perfectly righteous in all of his ways, holy in a league of his own, this amazing VIP of the universe, God, loves me. The one who rejects him, the one who thinks he knows better than him, the one who takes his crown and says, actually, it'd probably be better on my head because my decision-making is better than yours most of the time. That God loves me. That's the gospel. It's the good news. It's information. It's news. It's not advice, right? Immersing people in that. That's how we make disciples, immersing them in the beautiful news of the gospel of Jesus and teaching people how to obey Jesus as king. Are you tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. So, we have two strategies in this church to make disciples. Okay, if we're going to answer that, if we're going to actually fulfill the mission, we have strategies to do that. We have two of them. Okay, do you guys remember I talked about the Black Friday woman who bashed her cart into my heels, right? Like, her mission was to get those digital cameras before anybody else. And her strategy was to grab a cart and use it as a weapon. Are you tracking with me? Mission, strategy, right? Our mission is to make this, go and make disciples of Jesus. Our strategies, there's only two of them. This gathering, this worship gathering, and gospel community. Gospel community is, it's vital. Gospel community is, it's in the same way that church is an event, the church is the family of God, this is not church, this is the church gathered for a purpose, okay? Gospel community is the church gathered for a purpose, It's a community of people who are helping each other follow Jesus and inviting other people to do the same. So it's not an event. Yes, we'll do family meals once a week, but there's all sorts of rhythms of things happening. It's again, it's a a series of relationships where we help each other follow Jesus and invite other people to do the same thing. Okay, that's the first strategy. The second strategy is this gathering, this worship gathering. This worship gathering exists primarily, hear me say this, this primarily exists to offer him the praise that he's due and that he's worthy of. The cool thing is, is that we actually, we actually receive from that too because what we're created for. Joy, satisfaction, peace, security that transcends our circumstances. This is really important, okay? We simplify gatherings on purpose because we want to use our money to plant churches and free up people to lead and plant and pastor churches. Um, but either way, this is really important, it's primarily for him. Do we benefit from it? Yes. But this is a, a set-aside time each week where we get to rehearse and preach the gospel, this beautiful news, and enjoy it. Where we get to actually do that together. Make sense? 
So we have two strategies to accomplish the mission of making disciples, gospel community and worship gathering. Okay, I want to chat a bit about the outcome of discipleship. Um, does anybody here like to fish? Four of you, five of you, six of you. I enjoy fishing. Um, I prefer like stream fishing in the mountains because the sounds and just the environment and just like it puts my soul at peace in a cool way. But I enjoy fishing. Um, <clears throat> if you guys have been around uh, the church any length of time or you're familiar with the Jesus story, you know Jesus' first disciples were fishermen, like by vocation. They spent a lot of time fishing. Um, let me read you out of Matthew chapter 4 here quickly. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, he there is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, that's the apostle Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Um, <clears throat> this summer, this last summer, uh, we, took our, we had like our family vacation and we took our girls along with my folks and my brother. We, we went up to the mountains, like the Sierra Nevada mountains, the eastern Sierras, right? And it was a really, really sweet time. I mean, if you ever camped with young kids, it's borderline impossible. Uh, but there are some really life-giving, beautiful moments, Okay. And one of those moments was my eldest daughter, Amelia, she's six, she caught her first fish, okay? So I got to like, you know, <laughs> spend all the time, you know, hooking up the hooks and tying the hooks and getting the bait ready and stuff. So I take her down the stream and I, I cast it out there for her and I, I hand her the pole and she's there and she's doing it. Like she's, and then she notices, you know, like if you've ever been fishing, you know, when that fish hits, you feel it, and that end of the pole is like, boom, it's like going, you know? So she kind of lights up, and she has that first adrenaline rush of catching her fish, you know? And so I watched my daughter reel in her first fish. Ebony brought her Polaroid, and she has this epic picture, guys, of like Millie with the pole like this. It's bent like it's going to break, and there's a fish hanging there. It's this beautiful moment of her catching her first fish, the smile on her face, the, the rush, the exhilaration, all that kind of stuff. But think about this for a second with me. Think about fishing. Think about what happens when you go fishing. You have fish being brought from one realm, the water, to another. The mission of making disciples of Jesus is the same thing. We go to them Remember, go and make disciples. We go to them just like you go to fish. If you, if you don't go to the fish and you expect that they're going to come to you, it's never going to happen. They're in a different realm. You don't wait for the fish to come to you. You go to them. You seek them out. But what happens in discipleship is we help transfer people from one realm to another, from one kingdom to another. Are you tracking with me? The Apostle Paul, he uses this kind of language in his writings. In Colossians chapter 1, let me read this to you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13, he says this, he writes this. He, the he, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Are you seeing this imagery? 
of deliverance, of, of, of transferring from one kingdom to the next. And Paul's not just talking about a future reality. Like, oh, when we die, we go to heaven and we'll be in the kingdom of Jesus. Like, absolutely, yes, but it's not just like a future reality. It's a present reality. He writes it, he says, he has delivered us. He has transferred us. And Jesus says, follow me, discipleship, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So hear me say this. The unstoppable result of following Jesus, the outcome of that, the outcome of discipleship is Jesus sends us to fish for people. That's evangelism, right? You guys are familiar with evangelism? Evangelizing, proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Now, one of the things I've kind of seen shift and uh, there's been different movements in the church and they're all beautiful and amazing. But one of the things I've seen, there's been like a recent, like call, it's called the missional movement. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, God's poured out his kindness and his spirit in, in gracious ways. But one of the things that I've seen happen is that um, Christians will inevitably, not inevitably, they'll kind of like some, they'll start to view evangelism as beautiful and amazing as it is. They'll start to view evangelism as the mission. This idea of preaching the gospel to the lost, right? Evangelism. They'll view evangelism as the mission. But the mission is to make disciples. To, to go and make disciples. So hear me say this. That definitely includes evangelism. It has to include evangelism. Evangelism is vital, right? But it's not exclusively evangelism. Here's what happens. When the mission morphs into exclusively evangelism, the goal shifts from making disciples to making converts. Let me read you a quote from this guy, Justin, or it's not Justin, John S. Leonard. He wrote this wonderful book on, um, on evangelism called Get Real. It's one of the recommended readings on the church website if you want to check it out. It's really, really helpful. Really simple read. He says this regarding this idea um, <clears throat> that when, we, when the mission shifts towards evangel, like when you define the mission as evangelism and not the big picture of making disciples, it shifts the goal to making converts. He says this, quote, we need to change our vocabulary when we describe a Christian. Jesus didn't command us to go out and make believers. He commissioned us to go and make disciples. We need to move away from a big decision, quote, definition. When he talks about big decision, he's talking about this idea of like, like the kind of famous altar call, like raise your hand, I want to follow Jesus, Awesome, amazing, but that's what he's referring to when he says big decision, okay? He says, we need to move away from a big decision definition because all the emphasis is on making the decision, praying the prayer, or walking down the aisle. Is that all Christ asks of us? Western evangelicalism has infected the world with this heresy that if you have made the big decision, you're okay. In a discipleship approach, the moment of decision is played down. A decision to follow Christ is celebrated as a first step, just like with our children. When they took that first step, we applauded them, but their training wasn't over. It was just beginning. One difference between a convert-making approach and a disciple-making approach is that convert -making the convert-making method takes a brief time. You can make a convert in a, few in a few minutes. It takes a lifetime to make a disciple. Friends, 
evangelism is really important. Please hear me say that. Evangelism is really important, but it's only part of the equation when we talk about the mission of God. Okay, because the mission of God is not to simply make converts, it's to go and make disciples. Okay? Conversion, following Jesus, making a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, is a vital part of that equation, but it's only the beginning of the journey. Are you following me? Yes? Okay. Okay, my, my, my last point here, what does it mean for us? What is it, what is, if, 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 if mission is going to be a value to us as a restored church, what does this practically mean for us? Okay? Mission is going to be of value to us. It has some implications. Now, remember the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. So, the mission is incomplete without the going. You follow my logic here? It's incomplete without the going. If you're a Christian, hear me say this, it means that you've been sent by Jesus himself. Okay, it means that you, every single Christian in the room, if you're a Christian, that means you are a missionary sent by Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're a Christian, you are a missionary. Consider this for a second. Missionaries aren't just church planners or people who go overseas like Kyle and Kaya. Every Christian is a missionary because every Christian, every disciple has been sent by Jesus. <clears throat> uh, the legendary, famous British preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Oh, dang. <laughs> Whew. Okay, <clears throat> one more quote for you that's hopefully less, less harsh. Uh, one of my favorite leaders in the church, uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, um, he's from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he, he has this quote regarding every Christian as a missionary, right? He says this, quote, you don't need a seminary degree or a Bible school education. You don't need a title or a position. Jesus' disciples had none of these, but they had been with Jesus, and Jesus was with them by his spirit. He is with you too. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus, overcome like Jesus, I'm sorry, overcome sin like Jesus, proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and see the people's lives changed by the power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are always on mission. Every part of your life, every activity and event is part of Jesus' mission to make disciples. So friends, you're a Christian. Jesus has sent you as a missionary. So whether you're a student or you're a stay-at-home mom or a dad or a teacher or a manager or whatever, you're a missionary sent by Jesus to the people around you. Valuing mission means every one of us is a missionary sent by Jesus. Okay, what else does it mean? What else does it mean for us to value mission? Uh, it means that we prioritize being missional um, instead of being attractional. Uh, how many of you guys uh, had school dances when you were in junior high school? Many of us, okay. Um, <laughs> these are like ridiculous, uh, in my opinion, because what happened, at least in my experience, was there would be like a room sort of like this, 
And on one side of the room, there would be guys. And on one side of the room, there would be girls. And there'd be this huge open space to dance in the middle. And you have this, like, it's party like the Red Sea, man. It's like they're, they're segregated, girls on this side, guys on that side, whatever. But I remember, uh, I remember the first, like, school dance I went to in junior high. And I remember that kind of feeling like sort of anxious and like, oh, I've never done this before, but I've, I've seen movies where there's school dances and oh, like that kind of butterfly feeling in your stomach. And I remember I was like, guys, I put on my best outfit, okay? Like, I'm like, this is the best shirt I own. I'm going to wear this. I got new shoes or whatever. Like I was, I went for it, okay? I tried to be as attractive as possible. I might sound silly, but I did, okay? And I remember thinking like, dude, there's going to be so many girls that want to dance with this. Like, like, have you seen this shirt? Like, it's going to work. <clears throat> and I remember being like, you know what? It's, they'll probably have to start forming a line. You know, it's like Disneyland. Like, they'll patiently wait their turn. And then once the DJ plays enough songs, like, uh, guess how many ladies I danced with? Zero. Zero. Absolutely zero. But... I realized by the next dance that if I was actually going to dance with a girl, I was going to have to work up the courage to walk across to the other side of the room and ask them. Uh, In the past few decades, the church, especially here in the West, has been like me in junior high school. Church is focused so much of their efforts on attracting people, putting on these impressive events, right? Like bringing the famous speaker or like an amazing band, uh, lasers, fog machines, moving lights, rock climbing walls, iPod giveaway at the door, like this, like this massive thing. Basically, let's do anything and everything we can to attract people to our events. Now listen to me. I'm not here to slam attractional ministry. I came to know Jesus in attractional ministry. Okay? Being attractive is not a bad thing. But I want to be very clear. When I say we value mission over attraction, what I'm saying is we prioritize pursuing over attracting. We focus on going to people instead of getting them to come to us. Why? Because that's what my Jesus did, man. Jesus left the comforts of heaven, his throne, angels worshiping him for eternity, and he came for me. He pursued me, even though I rejected him and I disobeyed him, I did things my way, he still came for me. He sought me out. He pursued my soul. Jesus was sent on a mission. Jesus was missional. And guys, we want to be like him. I want to be like him. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't attractive. Okay, there is, there is nothing and no one as glorious as Jesus Christ. No one even comes close. No one's as attractive as him. We're not anti-being attractive, but our primary focus is on going to people, on pursuing them in love, not getting them primarily to come to us, like my silly strategy in my first junior high dance. You following me? Okay. 
So this idea of being missional, hear me say this, this includes Christians and non-Christians. We pursue, because again, it's not exclusively evangelism. We pursue our brothers and sisters in Christ when we notice they're in need or we notice they've drifted away or they're, we, we pursue them. We pursue them to help them enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus. Because guess what? We all forget and make mistakes every day. I need you to help me follow Jesus. <clears throat> so, obviously, we want the not yet Christian to know God as well. So again, it, I want you to see this, that the, that the mission of God involves Christians and not yet Christians. We lovingly pursue because the mission is to make disciples, people who are learning to follow Jesus. You're tracking with me. That includes everybody. Everybody. Okay? One of the things that I've noticed in planning and leading churches over the years is that, like in different seasons, God provides different opportunities. I'm sure you've experienced this even in your own life. Different seasons, God provides different opportunities. <laughs> Eric referenced it earlier. Our church has a rather spectacular missional opportunity in front of us because more than a third, more than a third of, our, of the people in our church are children. It's crazy. More than a third of the people in our church are children, including infants. That's like almost 50 kids. Like on regular, not visitors, like they're here regularly. And by here, I mean in the community, not just at the event. Now, listen, I don't know about you. I desperately want all of them to become disciples of Jesus. Every single one of them. To know him and his radical love for them to enjoy him, to obey him, and to operate like him in every area of their life. And God, in his loving kindness, has brought us dozens of kids, guys. Dozens of kids. I've never seen a church plant with as many kids as we have. And at first it freaked me out and stressed me out. But now I see it as God's kindness because he wants to use us to actually accomplish the mission of making disciples of Jesus. That includes all nations, right? All people groups, right? All ages, too. <clears throat> and I just want to say this, too. Like, that doesn't just, that's all of us, right? That's not just biological parents. Like, we're a spiritual family. We take responsibility for each other, right? So, how are we going to disciple these kids? Like, what are we going to do? Listen, the same thing that Jesus told us the same way he told us we already went through it, by immersing them in who God is and what he's done, immersing them in the gospel that God loves them, the little sinners that they are. God loves them, immersing them in who God is and what he's done in the gospel and by teaching them how to obey, showing them how. How do you be a Christian? How do you be a disciple? How do you follow Jesus? We're gonna show them how. It's gonna take time, it's a process. Okay, the mission, again, let me say this, the mission is to go and make disciples. So, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. I'm almost done. Let me get a drink of water here. You guys, you guys still with me? We okay? So no? Okay, thank you. The murmur is my favorite. Uh, yeah, we're still with you. Okay, I love you. Um, <clears throat> when I was a kid... I remember my dad, uh, where are you at, Poppy, in the room? He's on the, he's on the stage, okay. 
He's about to play bass. I remember him telling me this story about his uncle, Eugene. They called him Gene, so my great uncle. He was telling me about this story about uh, my great uncle, Gene. And uh, great uncle Gene, he was a scout in World War II in Luxembourg, right? So fighting the Germans. And like I said, his mission was to scout out Luxembourg. So he would, he would go behind enemy lines and he would do like reconnaissance and, 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 and report stuff back. <clears throat> and I remember, I remember them telling me stories of like him experiencing some really close calls. Like, I don't know about you, but I just, whenever I like see movies or documentaries or read anything on World War II, I'm just like, that's like a, that's a different level of gnarly. Like just the, just brokenness, war, pain, evil, suffering, death, destruction. It's just this like the worst cocktail of the brokenness of humanity on a worldly scale I can imagine. It's just gnarly. And I remember them telling me that he had some really close calls when he was on some of these missions. <clears throat> and there was one where, uh, one story where he was held up in this house and, and, and the Germans had kind of surrounded the house. So he's like in trouble. The German soldiers are surrounded the house. He's in the house and it's wintertime, right? And it's freezing cold. So he's got this big coat on and he decides, you know what? I'm, I, I'm not going to make it if I just stay here. So he books it. He takes off and they see him and he ditches the coat and they shoot at the coat and he's able to get away. And I'm like, that's like out of a video game. That's like Call of Duty. That's crazy. <clears throat> and there's another story, too, where he, he talked about how he was, um, uh, there's a, I think there was a family that was, like, hiding him in their house in Luxembourg. And, uh, and he's hiding in the house, and the German soldiers come. They come in the house, and they get so close to him that he can see their boots. So like, just picture that for a second, like how creepy that is. You're hiding for your life. And they're close enough, you can see their boots. And you're like, I'm just, you're quiet, you know, but your heart is pounding. And they don't find them. <clears throat> but my favorite story that they would tell me when I was growing up was um, his wife, Mabel, gave him this pocket watch. And uh, he kept it with him at all times. This girl gave him a watch. You know, like she's on the other side of the world and he's off fighting this war and that watch is with him at all times. So she gives him this watch. He keeps it on him. And like I said, he's a scout, right? So he's behind enemy lines. It's dangerous. He's behind enemy lines, scouting in Luxembourg and the Germans are tracking him. Like they know he's, he know, they know he's around or onto him and he's like, and he becomes aware of it. He's like, I have to get out of here. I have, to, I have to flee. And so he, he, he flees to safety and you can picture, right, like he's crawling under the barbed wire and the mud and just to get through because war zone, right? <clears throat> and he gets a few miles into safety. So he's been going for a while, a few miles into safety and he realizes he doesn't have the watch. It's lost. of the enemy he risks his life he goes back into enemy territory knowing that they're on to him he goes back into enemy territory to retrieve the watch and he finds it think about that a little pocket watch he finds it brings it back like 
would you risk your life? Would you risk everything to go back into enemy territory for a watch? Because what the watch meant to him. He valued it, not because of how much money it was worth, but because of who the watch came from. It was valuable to him. Friends, whether you realize it or not, hear me say this. You are in the middle of enemy territory, man. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Jesus came to ultimately make all things new. That's going to happen. But you are in the middle of enemy territory. So when we talk about mission, ultimately, mission means valuing people. Like my great uncle Eugene valued that watch. And even more than that, valuing people like Jesus values them. Valuing them enough to go and keep going back for what's lost. To help rescue them, to fish for them, to transfer people from one kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of enemy territory, and deliver them to the kingdom of God where they belong hearts and their souls can be at peace. But here's the thing. This is what I want you to, I want you to hear this. You won't go unless you value people the way that Jesus values you. I'm going to say that one more time. You won't go unless you value people the way Jesus values you. Guys, Jesus left heaven came to earth. He crossed enemy lines to be your savior. Let me read you from, read you from Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus basically saying his coming out party. Here's, here's who I am. Here's why I came. So what he says. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. There's that gospel language. To proclaim good news to the poor. Listen to this. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Okay, that's not just physical blindness, friends. That's spiritual blindness too. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My friend, you will not prioritize the mission. You won't value the mission enough until you realize that Jesus valued you so much that his mission was for you. Like, he came for you, man. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Hear me say it. Do you have ears to hear that? In John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So Jesus' mission was you, but it didn't end with you. Remember, Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Just like him. Just like him. So here's my question for you. Who is God calling you to go to? Will you stand if you're able? God calling you to go to?
God calling you to go to? Listen, if you have a spouse, it's definitely them. If you have children, it's definitely them. If you belong to a gospel community, it's definitely them. But who else, man? Who else? Who in your life is lost in enemy territory? Maybe they're even a Christian. Maybe they're a Christian and they drifted away because of whatever reason. Or maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't and they don't know the love that God has for them. My friends, we value mission because of what's at stake. We value mission because of what's at stake, the precious souls of people like you and people like me. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, show me how to pray. there are some of us who are wrestling with this idea of mission right now maybe wrestling with some of the things that I've said I feel like there's things that I have said that some of you are like camping on um, and you're missing what God's saying to you because he wants to rescue and redeem every single portion of your life and he wants to use you to rescue and redeem the lives of the people around you It's not in your strength. It's by the power of the Spirit of God in you. It's God's mission through you. So Father, I pray for us all right now, um, myself included, we need to know how valuable we are to you so that we can actually be the missionaries that you're calling us to be. If not, it's going to be empty. It's going to be religion. It's going to be this like transactional using people to meet a quota. That's not your mission. Your mission is to make disciples. So I pray, Lord, this reality that all of us are missionaries. All of us are sent. If we're Christians, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, we are sent ones. Would you show us now? Would you show show us this morning who's on your heart? Obviously, we're on your heart. We're sons and daughters. We're growing as disciples. You're sanctifying us. You're making us more like Jesus. You're making us more holy. But show us who. Show each of us who. We know if we're, if we're married, it's our spouse for sure. If we're a parent, it's our kids for sure. If we're part of a gospel community, it's them for sure. But who else, God? Show us. We want to be obedient. And God, please, just help us to see that you came for us because of our great value to you. Without that, without the good news of the gospel, we got nothing. There's no power to accomplish the mission, no matter how good a strategy is. Use us, God. And thank you for your patience and your kindness. Thank you that you call us into this. This is crazy. We get to participate with you in the redemption of all things. Oh, it's so cool. Bless us, God. Show us. Teach us guide us, that we can be people who actually value mission.